It is. Amen. And just think about those words. Let your purifying fire refine me as you will take my life. That's our cry. Before we open up the word this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, we come here to encounter you. We come here to embrace the God of all glory. We come here to be met by you, to be refined by you, to experience eternal life in you. Lord, I pray that this morning we would find joy in your truth, that we would find life in your name. I pray all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. There was a priest. There's always a priest, right? There's a priest uh, preparing a man to die. He went and he, he went to his bedside and he, he firmly said, Denounce the devil. Let him know how little you think of his evil ways. The man looked at him and said nothing. The priest, thinking he may, may have just not been heard, says, Denounce the devil in, in all his evil ways. Again, the man looks at him and nods his head. The priest says, Why will you not do this? Why will you not denounce the devil in his evil ways? The man sat and thought for a second and he said, until I know where I'm going, I'm not sure I want to upset anybody. It's kind of silly. But it asks a question. And it asks a question that I'm not sure we're totally familiar with anymore. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you even believe eternity exists? I do. But I wonder, what would our life look like if we lived it in view of, authority, of eternity? How do we come to find eternity? How do we embrace eternity? What is our way there? What we can see here is that life ends. You live your 70, 80, maybe more, maybe less years, and we see life end. Where does it go afterwards? Are you just six feet under? Or does something different happen? The church claims to have the answer that there is eternal life. There is opportunity to embrace, to live in, to find the joy of eternal life. We say that we find eternal life in Jesus Christ. But by whose authority does he claim to be able to give that to you? By what authority do I speak right now to you? I speak from God's Word. The Creator of all things 
has told you that there is life outside of this world. Life after. Life with Him restored once again. This morning we're going to talk about why Jesus? Why not any of the other people? Why is it only Jesus who can offer you and I eternal life? What authority does He have? And if He has that authority, what is my response? How ought we to live in light of that? If you uh, have your Bibles this morning, and if you don't, there's uh, Bibles in front of you. Please turn with me to John chapter 3. We're not going to the familiar verse, John 3.16. We're going a little past that. Go to John 3, verse 30. Or 31, excuse me. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little of the context. Uh, a, little, a little bit of understanding as to where this scene takes place. Where these words are spoken. You see, this is at the beginning of the Gospel. This is at the beginning of a change. A change in understanding of where eternal life is found. You see, Israel understood eternal life to be with God. My belief in God and my obedience to Him. And we all know how well that turned out for them. They kept trying to believe that God would do something. God would show His authority. They would attempt to believe and attempt to obey and then fall away. This was the pattern over and over. If you read the whole Old Testament, over and over and over again, people would obey and then fall away. It was a partial understanding of salvation, a partial understanding of eternal life, of God's full plan. Then, the Old Testament concludes and there's 400 years of silence. 400 years in which God says nothing. I like to think of it as as God giving time to accentuate what's about to happen. He's about to have the answer that never fails. He's about to give the sacrifice that never needs to be repeated. He's about to give the only offer of eternal life that you can have. 400 years of silence, and then there's a madman. His name is John the Baptist. There's a madman crying out in the wilderness, make way, make straight the paths of the Lord. He eats honey and locusts. He's hairy. You probably think he's creepy. But he's speaking for God. He's not speaking about himself. He's saying, make way the path of the Lord, for the Lord. I am not the Christ, he says. But there's one who's coming, whose sandal I am unworthy to even untie. He's preparing the way for Jesus. Then Jesus comes into the scene at the beginning of this chapter, or chapter 2. People start believing in Him, seeing Him. And John's disciples start to switch over to Jesus. Some of the leftover disciples, if you will, are saying, wait, John, John, they're going over there to Jesus. What? Stop them. You're our teacher. You're the one who's showing us the way. John says, 
it wasn't about me. It was never about me. It was always about him. Follow him. He says, I must decrease so that Christ might increase. He's putting himself aside because he realizes that he is sent by God, which means he is not about himself. He is about God. He is here to fulfill God's mission, not his mission. His life was completely characterized, revolved around this message of the gospel. This need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. This is where our passage comes in. He's saying it's not about me. His disciples don't get it. Why? We thought you were speaking of God. He says, because Jesus has all authority. Let's read. John chapter 3, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Let's stop right there. He who is above all. Who comes from above. John is about to lay out for us the authority that Christ has. The reason that he's not pointing at himself, but he's pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus finds his authority in his origin. He came from heaven. He didn't come from here. John says, I was born here to a woman from a man. He wasn't. He came from heaven. Don't trust me. Trust him. Follow after him. When we ask the question, why Jesus? We say because his authority is from heaven. Not from here. Not from any lofty speech that we can come up with, some great philosophical understanding. No, the person over there, across the lake, baptizing people. That man named Jesus. He is from heaven. He has all authority. The second place that John speaks of his authority is who he represents. Verse 33, whoever receives his truth sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He represents God. He has come from God. There's authority coming from the Creator, the Almighty our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven endorses Jesus. Sent Jesus. Jesus utters His words and He is Spirit-filled. You see, in the days of the Old Testament, the only people who were Spirit-filled were the prophets. And they were given the measure that they needed to present the message that they had. So none of them had the fullness of the Spirit. That's the switch here. Jesus isn't just another prophet. Jesus has the fullness of God's Spirit dwelling in Him. 
There's the authority. The fullness of God dwelt in him. The spirit without measure. Jesus finds his authority in his origin, in who he represents, and then third, what God the Father has given unto him. Verse 35 again. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All things. That means eternity. That means your future. Your very life has been given over to Jesus. The power, the authority to make that decision that only God can make has been given to Jesus Christ. That's the authority we rest in. That's the authority that we believe in. But how do we respond? Because we have a choice. While he has that authority, we are still given a choice. Are we going to believe him or not? Are we going to obey him or not? We're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning on this last verse. Verse 36, let's read it together. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I'll be honest, I read this passage and I had no idea what to do with it. I said, this doesn't fit with my category of God. How could his wrath sit on someone? How could he allow that to happen? How could obedience be tied with faith? We put our hands out and said, we don't believe in works-based righteousness. Absolutely. But how do I justify this passage with that understanding? That I cannot believe in, in Christ without obedience. But I also can't earn my faith or earn my eternity, earn my salvation. I can't do all of those, so what do we do with a passage like this? There's a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in Germany during World War II who ended up being martyred for his faith in a concentration camp at 39 years old. Declaring the Gospel the people who needed it. He brings up this, this concept of cheap grace. Grace that is given that doesn't require anything of us. The way that many of us have grown up believing grace to be. It's, it's not about us and it doesn't mean anything for us. We just have to believe in it and then it's ours and, and we're done. Bonhoeffer has something different to say, though. Cheap grace means justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. The world goes on the same old way, and we are all sinners, even in the best life. Well then, let the Christian live like the rest of the world. 
Let him model himself on the world standards in every sphere of life and not presumptuously aspire to live a different life under grace from his old life under sin. Grace isn't a free pass to live how we want to live. To live the way we used to live. Grace is an opportunity to be changed. You see, the fundamental problem is that you and I are sinners. Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Romans 5. We are all fundamentally against God. And something about us needs to change if we are ever going to be in His presence. Grace changes it. He suggests a different way. He suggests costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. Ye, we were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our lives but delivered Him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Incarnation is a big word that basically means God with us. God dwelt with us. God came in the form of Jesus Christ so that once again we could be restored into a loving relationship with Him. Yet we've cheapened it. We've cheapened it by saying that I don't have to change. Just be yourself. That's the slogan we hear all the time, right? Just, just be true to you. Being true to you is being true to the sin. Let God redeem you. I'm not suggesting that you try to be someone else in the sense that like, you know, he's a really good Christian and he does X, Y, and Z, so I'm going to do that. Not change the, the, the ways that we, um, or the gifts that God has given us. God gave you gifts that are individual to who you are. But the way that we appropriate those changes drastically. The reason we appropriate those gifts changes drastically. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for Him. It's not about me. It's about Him. And what He's done for me and what He's done for for you. Our lives should be completely transformed by the reality of Jesus Christ. Not just our eternal destination. Our ticket didn't just change. The way we got there changed. Our life changes. It's a scary thought to think about 
to think about obedience and what that really means. You can't obey your way to God. But you also can't believe if you don't obey. Bonhoeffer puts it like this. Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. For faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. In our Protestant zeal to run away from works-based justification, we said they aren't even a part of your life. Just believe. I grew up believing that all I had to do was believe harder and my life would change. Create a better construct of who I thought God to be. Have all my systematic theology down-packed. If I could give all the right answers at all the right times, defend the faith perfectly, that's what it means to really, really believe in Christ. That's what we need to do. That's what we all should aspire to do for salvation. I wouldn't have put it that way, but that's how I lived. My life was about me figuring that out so that then at the end of the day I could say, look, Jesus, I did it. Here's the ball of of theology, of understanding of who you are. Can I get in? And yet if I were that man, that man in the joke at the beginning, the one that, you know, kind of fell flat, if I were that man, I'd be sitting there wondering the same thing, too scared to actually voice it like he did. My life changed dramatically a month and a half ago when I realized that everything I do, everything I believe is based on Jesus Christ. That everything I think, every ideal that I have, every goal that I ever set is for His glory and for His kingdom. Is empowered by Him and for Him. Done through Him. That's salvation. That's Christianity. Cheap grace sucks life from us. Because it says, continue in your life, but just mentally, cognitively, put a place over here that has a little checkbox, I believe in Jesus. That's what I spent my life doing. And I would check it, like, multiple times. See, look, look, I checked it a bunch. It's all filled in, even. Am I good? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever obeys not the Son shall not see life. Some commentators want to, want to take in to say, well, when they say obey, he, he just means um, don't not believe. And I think that's because we're scared of this topic. I think that's because we're scared to, to put some meat behind our belief. And I think it all sits around this concept of belief. What does it mean to believe? We can make the statement that it's just about not believing if we understood what belief was. See, belief changes the way we live. Belief is our faith outworked.
And there's a really, it's a very real consequence to our choice in this decision. It's not popular anymore to talk about heaven and hell. You, can't, you actually believe there's a real place called heaven and hell? I sure do, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be in this building. There's no need for salvation if there is no place to be saved from. There is no judgment to be relieved of. We don't need Jesus if there is no hell. And so most people say, I don't need Him. Because I don't believe in a place called hell. And yet God's Word, God's revelation of Himself says, there is a place called hell. There is condemnation for those who don't believe. This morning, I want to be clear. I'm not telling you to obey harder. I'm not. But I'm asking you to, to understand what you mean when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Because if it's just another one of the checkboxes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I am a Republican or a Democrat. I am. Then you've missed the point. I believe in Jesus Christ changes all of these. I believe in Jesus Christ is the lens in which I understand any of these questions. It is the way that I make that statement. I think there's a wonderful reality here. There's this, this thing called our union with Christ. It's kind of a... It's a it can tend to be a lofty understanding or thought. But when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are united to Him. If He is light and we are united to Him, how can we continue in our darkness? How can we continue in our sinful lives? Now also know that I'm not suggesting that when you believe, you will become perfect and never sin again. I'm living proof, that's false. <laughs> There's an already not yet reality here. Already we believe in Christ. Already we are in eternity. And yet it has not been consummated. It has not come to completion. We are justified before God, yet we still have our sinful nature. We still deal with that day by day. We still need God's grace day by day. We still need Jesus Christ to save us day by day from all of the inward-focused realities in our life. I'm going to do this because it will make me a better Christian. I'm going to do this because it will get me a better standing in society. I'm going to do this because I'll get me a better house. It's not about me. I want this house so that I can invite people into our lives so they can see Jesus Christ. I want a better standing in society so that I can shout His name to the rooftop and that people might hear me. See the way that it changes. When we are united with Christ, everything changes. 
This week uh, in our Bible study, we, we talked about John 15. I am the vine. He is the vine dresser. Jesus referring to God. I even have it with me. We do colorful things at Bible study. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Is there enough evidence in your life to prove that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? If, if we were in China right now, where it's illegal to be a Christian, would they be able to look at your life and say, that is a Christian jail? Or worse. There's some who think that that reality is coming here to America in the next 10, 15 years. Maybe, maybe not. Lord's will. But if that day were to come and they were to look at your life, would they be able to tell? By the way that you live, the way that you act, the things you say, the reason you do what you do, would they be able to tell that you were a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you obedient as a proof? That's a question I've wrestled a lot with the last couple of weeks. Is my life truly changed by Jesus Christ? Or have I just checked off the box over here? If I'm honest, I think most of my life has been spent checking off that box, hoping that that's all I needed to do. But in this moment, I realize, in reading these texts, I realize that that's not all it is. Belief is a life-transforming reality. That when I obey, I experience faith. When, you, when, when I hear the question of, well, I like, I just, it's hard for me to believe. Is it hard for you to believe because there's sin over here that you don't want to deal with? You don't want to say no to this, but you're still checking off the box frantically because you want both? There's things we hold on to. And Jesus is the authority. He is from heaven, sent by God, given all things. He deserves our allegiance. He calls for our obedience, for our belief in Him. Again, let me be clear. You can't earn your salvation. But your life after you believe should be marked by obedience. You should look different. And it's in that that we find life. You see, Jesus Christ, all things have been given unto Him. He is life. God gave Him the very essence of life. So for us to desire life, we must desire Him. Which means we put off the things of the old self. Take on the new. 
We obey his commands as he has given them in his power. See, the thing about the Old Testament is it was, it was an uh, a, a, a incomplete understanding of God's saving work. It said, believe and obey. Now we have the, Old, the New Testament that says, believe and obey in Jesus Christ who enables you to do both of those. Jesus Christ who changes your life. Jesus Christ who gives you and I the opportunity for eternal life. What does that look like? What does it look like to believe in Jesus Christ this week for the rest of your life? There's some simple, simple things I want you to think about and consider. Ask the question, do I really believe? And I'm not asking you to doubt yourself, but I'm asking you to take stock in your life. Does my life look like I believe? Is my life characterized by my belief in Jesus Christ? And if it's not, why not? What's in the way? What don't I want to let go of? Jesus is greater than anything you can imagine. The fullness of God dwelt in Him. All things, all good things have been given over to Him. Believe in Him. Spend time with Him. If you, in your belief, you're affirming that God is true. That, that, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Do you know Him? Are you getting to know Him? When you're dating, you don't just like go up and say, Hey, like I know you. Your name is Jesus. You are this old and you lived then. You want to get married? Maybe some cultures. I hear. <laughs> A little strange. Same thing true with Christ. Have we simply put Him on the back shelf and said, I know Jesus. I know He did this for me. I'm a sinner. I prayed the prayer. He can sit on the back shelf now. We're in this time of Lent. In this time of Lent, we, we as a church have committed to giving 10 minutes a day to Jesus Christ. 10 minutes to, to put down ourselves and say, Lord, I want to know you. Whether that's prayer or scripture, communion with other believers, like 10 minutes where you are intentional about seeking the living God. Seems like a little bit, but it's scary. That 10 minutes will change your life. I have someone in my small group who's been doing it, and her life's changing because she's, she's taking the 10 minutes. She's like, I want more. I have 15, 20 minutes. I want more of this thing called life that I find in Jesus Christ. Take 10 minutes to figure out what you believe. And if you believe in Jesus, give everything. Give your whole life to Jesus. Plan your life in Christ. That means your decisions. The reason I'm doing this is to glorify God. The reason I'm doing this is because Jesus Christ loves the church. This, because Jesus Christ loves those out there who don't know Him yet. 
I'm doing everything in my life for His glory. I'm making the decisions that we make for His glory. We're, my wife and I are going to do budgeting tonight. We're going to put out the money and figure out where everything goes. <laughs> um, our decisions are going to be based off what we think God is calling us to do with our money. He is the authority over all things. He gave us the little money we have. And we're going to use it to His glory. Whatever way we, we can. Take time to take stock in your life. Is my life about Jesus Christ? It's not going to make sense to the world. We're going to look weird. We're going to do things differently. But that's because He's called us out of that. He's called us out of the way the world does them does things and called us into the way that Christ calls us to live. Take 10 minutes a day. This week in, in particular, take 10 minutes to say, Lord, I believe in You. Show me where my disbelief is. Show me the areas that I'm not giving and give me the strength, Lord, to give them to you. Because that's where we find life. When we embrace the fullness of Jesus Christ, which means all of His commandments. Bonhoeffer. One more word from him. It means we can only take this step aright if we fix our eyes not on the work we do, but on the Word which Jesus calls us to do it. When Peter was ready to step out and come to Jesus as Jesus is walking on the water, he knew that if he took it on his own volition, he would sink. So he said, Lord, call me so that I might come. I believe in you. He got, and the Lord called him and he took his steps out of the boat. Walking on water. I do believe in miracles. Because Jesus Christ is the authority over the water. Jesus Christ is the authority over my life. The decisions that I make. When we believe in Him, we submit to Him. This week, take that seriously. Think about it, what it means to take that seriously. I'm not questioning people's salvation in this moment. I'm asking you to think about your belief. What does it mean that I believe? Because Jesus is real. Jesus is Lord. He is Savior, Redeemer, Healer. He is all of those things and many more. Come to know Him this week. Take those ten minutes to see who He is. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, Lord, thank You 
Thank You that You don't leave us in our condemnation. You don't leave us in our sin. That You sent Your Son so that He could live the perfect life. Die a shameful death bearing the weight of our sins, of God's wrath, so that if we come to You, if we believe in Jesus' name, we might be saved. 